Hello and welcome to another episode of The Directors. I am Cooper Knowlton. Joining me today is David Alfano once again. And today's episode, we are just going to try something a little bit different. No guest today. No race report today. Today, we're just going to run through some topics, questions, things in the news, random message board threads that caught our interest. Just throw out some random questions, random topics. It's kind of a mailbag where instead of listeners submitting questions, we're just submitting questions to each other. Or it's like a random, you know, I sometimes listen to Tim Ferriss, who does like a random show with with another guy every once in a while. So just throwing out random topics random questions related to running, race directing, track and field, all the things that we BS about way too much. So with that being said, Dave, I don't know if there's anything else that we need for background. I'm going to start off with the first topic, which is from a Let's Run message board thread, which is where I go to get most of my best ideas. The question is, is track the only sport where pros routinely get beat by high school or college age kids? I thought it was kind of an interesting topic to chat about. Curious, when you hear that question, what comes to mind? A lot of things come to mind. So I think the quick answer is yes. I mean, by design, track and field is the only sport where a high schooler can enter a meet with a collegiate athlete. A pro runner can enter a meet with a collegiate athlete. You have a lot of these big invitationals that are like supposed to be professional only, but a lot of these meet directors end up finding themselves inviting some of the top high schoolers and collegiate athletes because let's face it, high schoolers and and collegiate athletes, I, I think a great example is like Caitlin Tui, you know, over the last year, like they bring in ratings and they bring in eyeballs. You know, we were talking about this offline. If if LeBron James was in his preseason and he was at a basketball court playing at USC, there's no doubt he would play with some collegiate athletes, probably get dunked on, probably like if that became public, people would, would almost be seeing kind of the same thing. But I, I think on the pro side, this is where it hurts things the most because you have someone like Noah Lyles who is opening up a season very early, not in peak shape and is running against another athlete who on the college side who might be in like their absolute best form trying to qualify for NCAAs. And, and then from the pro side, you hear, oh, well, we're, we're not quite there yet. We're just getting our season started. But like, how can you take the pro side seriously when you know you have all three subsets of athletes in the same race at different points of the year. So I, I think to Jesse Williams from Sound, he was on the podcast a few weeks ago, he made a very good point. Like when Sydney McLaughlin made the Olympics in high school and was third at the Olympic trials, like that was an incredible moment for uh, a 17 year old to be able to like put themselves on the world stage. But generally speaking, I think, and I know you didn't ask me this, I'm sort of rambling. I think it hurts the sport more than anything to have pros running with college and and high school athletes. Yeah, I think it's actually, at first glance, I think everything you said is right. It happens so much in track because there's so many opportunities for, there's no like pro circuit. So pro runners are just hopping in college races, random races all the time, and there's just more opportunity for it. But you had an amateur who won a PGA. He was a college kid. He won a PGA tournament a couple weeks ago. You have in these individual sports, like you have like 16-year-old girls who are winning tennis majors. So like I'm sure in all sports, a high school phenom is going to be able to compete with the best 21, 22-year-olds, like, you know, a 17, 18-year-old kid, no reason they can. I think it would happen in other sports. It's just, I think more than anything, track and field is just the sport where there's the most opportunity to see it happen. 
And so it is the most stark when you see like some kid who's from college taking down a lot of pros, it, it, it just is more noticeable. But I'm sure if there were more opportunities for it in other sports, you'd see it as well. Yeah, Freddie Adu, when he was like 16 on the soccer circuit, I think he was, was starting like a World Cup level team. So yeah, it, it's, you know, it, it's, it's a sport where you're comparing times and it's, you know, it's even like in swimming, it's easy to, it's easy to compare a fast 16 year old to a veteran 30 year old. And even like, you know, BU is a great example of, of these fast races set up, you know, you, you're, you're going to have all walks of life in the running world in the same uh, race. So I'm sure we'll see more of it and not totally a bad thing, but uh, I, again, on the pro side, it, it certainly doesn't help their case. All right, let's move along. We're, we're, we're coming off the two biggest indoor meets, especially on the pro side, that being New Balance Grand Prix and Milrose Games. And those are both coming after the Olympic marathon trials. It seems like they released some data. And it seems like the New Balance Grand Prix overall had the biggest average audience getting around 1.2 million, better than the Milrose Games and the marathon trials. The one interesting statistic here was the 18 to 34 demographic was really low for pretty much all three events. Do they mean anything, these ratings for track and field and running? Yeah, it's interesting because I think so much of conversations about events and sponsorships are driven by TV ratings and ratings overall. And you see this. And, and obviously, I think these are the three biggest events that have happened in the last couple of weeks. And all awesome events all had unbelievable performances. And if I'm thinking about like what captured the most attention in, you know, the podcasts I listened to and on social media and Instagram and Twitter and all that, like the marathon trials far and away are the biggest. I mean, the marathon trials might be the biggest, at least in the little niche world that we operate in. I, I, it's hard to imagine anything capturing more attention and interest in the marathon trials. Everyone's talking about that over like, you know, even the top performances at, at those two meets. And to see that had the lowest ratings is kind of interesting when you think about like, then what do those things mean from a sponsorship perspective is kind of an interesting thing to think about. I mean, I think the marathon trials, obviously what they're talking about here, I think is the recorded broadcast, which is, which was, you know, there was the peacock recording in the morning or the peacock live broadcast and then they had the like tape delay broadcast at noon so it's people watching that later on when the results are already known so i'm sure that had something to do with these ratings as well but yeah interesting to see i mean i think also one of the more interesting things to see is like not necessarily how these three events compare to each other but also just like how they're comparing to other sporting events i mean i see here that the melrose games melrose games i think had I'm trying to figure out the exact number. Looks like around a million television viewers for the Milrose games. And then like an Iowa, Nebraska women's basketball game had 1.7 million. The waste management Phoenix open on the golf channel had 1.2 million. The first hour of the Boston Miami broadcast had 2.1 million. So, you know, I think that's interesting. Like no surprise that all of those sports are outperforming track and field, but just kind of interesting to to think about who's watching, what those ratings mean. I mean, I think a lot of it, we've talked about this, like are a lot of those numbers are just people flipping through the channels, right? Like people flipping through the channels and watching track and field for 15, 20 minutes, watching golf for 15, 20 minutes. Like it's really the casual person. So I don't know. I'm 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 rambling again as well, but I think interesting things to think about and and I think it, the most interesting thing for me is just kind of how it compares to other sports and less how those three events kind of stack up against each other. 
Yeah, the marathon trials, I was in a room with 40 other people watching on Peacock. And I, I don't know if the Peacock numbers are like completely being taken into account there because you couldn't... If you pick up your phone, you were on Twitter or Instagram or, or whatever, the marathon trials were just absolutely everywhere. So that that was kind of that was kind of interesting. New Balance Grand Prix and Milrose, those are like, I gotta say, when I was coaching in the high school world to get an invite to go to one of those two, that was like may as well have been our Olympics. Huge like deal being at that meet to like cream of the crop meets. But you know, when I'm watching those meets on TV, nothing really has changed from like even when I was watching track as a 16-year-old, you know, like to the like intro music. I mean, everything is the same. If you're flipping through a channel and you and you pull up one of those meets and you're like, okay, what's going on? I want to get into the track space here. I, I want to give this a chance. It's kind of hard to know where those meets fit in the grand scheme of things. Like, yes, it's an Olympic year and Noah Lyles is trying to get four medals, like great storyline. But, you know, you have a, a, an all-star long jump cast with like Tara Davis, who's like, a superstar, she gets like a minute of screen time and nobody really understands what's happening. And then you switch to a 3K and you see a pacer out front. And if you're not in the track world, you don't even understand why there's a pacer and what that means. So I think the format of pro track is, and this is a maybe a whole separate conversation, it doesn't lend to pulling in the casual track or the casual sports fan. But just an observation, but like those meets are like unbelievably well organized. I know for us, that's like, we look at meets like that as like, you know, how do we do our stuff on a really professional level? But the format is, you know, I I think is impeding the progress of getting the casual fan. All right. Kind of going, keeping with the same theme. We were talking about this a little bit. It's kind of a, a version of the same question I asked you before about the pros and the high school kids, but you know, this weekend was the U.S. Indoor National Championships in Albuquerque, and arguably one of the biggest stars in the sport, Grant Fisher, elected not to go to that. And he went to BU and chased a really fast 5K with a pacer and essentially just ran a solo time trial at BU and didn't go to the national championship, which, you know, I've, I've, I saw an interview with him and there were many reasons why he did that. There was travel and he, you know, it's an Olympic year and there's standards that he needs to hit. Just seeing that from a big picture, like trying to explain that to someone who's a casual fan of the sport, you talk about an analogy of like, you know, it is the major championship. Imagine another sport where you have a major superstar who's electing not to go to the British Open, who's electing not to go to the Waste Management Open and go and like, essentially what you're talking about is like one of these major stars, a Phil Mickelson, a Tiger Woods was being like, I'm not going to go to that tournament because I want to go to, you know, this really great golf course where I know that I have a shot at hitting and getting a 59 because I need to get a 59 because that's going to qualify me rather than like going head to head with other people. It's like, what is track and field doing to itself? I mean, are we not shooting ourselves in the foot when you see something like this happening? So many things to unpack here. First of all, the U.S. Indoor Championships, you know, I, I think the Christian Coleman, Noah Lyle showdown was like, on my end, somebody already in the sport was very exciting to to kind of view from the outside looking in, but it just didn't seem to have the same like umph as an outdoor championship. It, it, if I'm Grant Fisher, I, I assume that I'm getting a massive bonus for hitting a, you know, hitting a time. I'm sure that's built into the contract. You know, this goes into a deeper conversation of running time trials on the distance side versus championship racing. I, I saw the prize structure for USAs and it looked like it was kind of like an eight, six, four tier. But, you know, for a guy like Grant Fisher, you know, one of the best runners in the world to go chase that fast time versus go into a race with, I mean, the 3K had some really good runners in it. It, it, it had to have been probably there was some financial incentive there, but 
Yeah, I mean, a national championship needs to be treated like a national championship. And, and honestly, it didn't really feel like one. I know that there was some like, you know, there were some threads on how do I even watch this on a Friday? I didn't see a whole lot of buildup, um, again, outside of the Noah Lyles, Christian Coleman showdown. So I, as a track fan, yes, fast times definitely excite me. But again, to go back to the pulling new fans in, a, a 1251 at the BU track is going to excite the five to 10,000 people who watch distance running on a regular basis. Nobody else is going to care. I think you'd get more people interested in two eight-year-olds running down the street and seeing one kid, you know, kind of like moving ahead of the other one. Yeah. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. I think this all comes back to kind of what Jesse was saying, where you have to be in a position where points and national rankings and qualifiers are based off of head-to-head races. Like, I think that's the fix here, right? It can't be that it's based off of time. It has to be head-to-head. If Grant Fisher needs, we, we, we've got to create recreate a system where he's incentivized to go and chase and, and run against the best people, or the prize money has to be so good. Clearly, like that prize structure that you said, that eight, six, four, whatever that tier system is, like... That's not enough to incentivize him. I'm sure, you know, if if it was a hundred thousand, seventy five thousand, fifty thousand, you better believe he's going to to collect that hundred thousand dollar payday. But when it's eight thousand dollars, you know, he's who knows how his contract works. But it's clearly the incentive structure is what needs to be what needs to be revamped here. If you have a race with Grant Fisher and Cole Hawker and all the on guys, I mean, put them all on the track for a 3K and they run and there's no pacer. The winning time might be 8.07. You're going to get a lot of US distance fans complaining. They're going to be like, that was the slowest race ever. But I guarantee you, if the format is presented in a really strategic way and it's marketed well, and you see the end of that race, you see the random surges, more people are going to be excited about that. I mean, it will piss off the the diehards in our country, the five to 10,000. I don't know, maybe it's more than that, but that two mile at Melrose was kind of a perfect example where like everyone finished that race. There was like national record and everyone was stoked, which is great. Like everyone ran amazing in that race, but like it would have been, it, it's not a super exciting race, right? Like it's the, the, the end product is really interesting to see like, wow, people are running so fast. But if you had taken that entire field and turned it into a kicker's race and they ran really slow and then the last 400 was like, you know, all of them surging and passing each other. That would have been way more exciting for the casual fan than a number that like, truth be told, I didn't know what the, you know, did I have any idea what the world record was for an indoor two mile? No idea. No, I, I mean, I could have like guessed probably within a few seconds, but like, I don't know. It's kind of just like, we need to get away from that. So, all right. Last topic for today, Cracktown USA released their all session ticket prices for the Olympic trials, which are coming up this summer. Olympic trials are like, honestly, the, the most exciting part of the season, probably for, for any US track and field fan or, or non-fan because there's just so much on the line. And it looks like the cheapest option for a nine day pass looks like about 400 bucks. If you want to go along the home stretch, it's a thousand dollars. Are these prices fair? And I I guess it it leads into a larger question of we're at Eugene another year, beautiful stadium. You want to get over there and watch. You have to factor in airfare and hotels. And for those that wait, I know it becomes like a really challenging trip. What are your thoughts on that? 
Yeah. I mean, I, I see a thousand dollars for a nine day pass at first. You're like, wow, that's a lot. But, you know, people spend a thousand dollars for a Taylor Swift concert, like, uh, you know, w- without even blinking. So I don't actually think the price point is ridiculously high. I know the price point is ridiculously high to get to Eugene. I know the lodging, the hotels, everything, the Airbnbs get exorbitantly expensive because it's a small town. And you have a lot of people traveling in. And so I think that's the biggest issue. But I think the bigger issue is just like the thought of going anywhere for, you know, who who can afford to go anywhere for nine days, right? I mean, that is a major, I mean, maybe you go for two, three days, you plan a long weekend around this event. But I think the bigger thing is not how expensive it is, but like we're selling a nine day ticket for kind of the marquee event. Like, you know, I, I don't know any other sport that exists like that. A major golf tournament, four days. I guess a major tournament for like a tennis tournament can be drawn out over multiple weeks, but you're really paying for per game. To It's a completely different model. I think the thought of like the ticket prices actually don't seem that insane to me. It's more just like when I see this, I'm just like, I think it's wild that we're doing a nine day championship. That's what comes to mind. And again, like we've talked about this a lot too, like most people are fans of distance running or fans of the jumps and the throws or, you know, there's not a ton of people who are fans of just like everything. So if you're not going for nine days, you might be going for two, three days, four days, maybe make a long weekend out of it. You're probably only seeing a few events that you really care about. You might be seeing the prelims for the eight and the final of the 10 K, you know, it's just, it's just a really hard presentation of an event. And I wonder if there's a way that could be there's a way that it could be rethought to really shrink this down quite a bit. I'm sure it has something to do with the Olympic schedule. You're mimicking the Olympic schedule. I'm sure there's all sorts of reasons why it exists like this. But again, I don't think I don't think it's the price tag that 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 really scares me away. I'd probably be more willing to pay a thousand dollars for three really unbelievable days than a thousand dollars for nine days that are all kind of fairly thin. Yeah, there's so many events in track and field. It's crazy. Like. There's no way one person, I shouldn't say this, there, there are people that will follow every single one, particularly people that cover the sport. But it's really hard as a casual fan to follow the 100 while following the 5K. It almost seems like the sprints and the distance are two different sports. And an interesting presentation might be to just have the sprints on specific days and the distance uh, events on different days. But then now, Guys that want to double and, and triple, it, it's just going into, you're going into like a fatigue state where you have to run too many events on too many days. So you got to prepare the athletes for the Olympics. You got to prepare for whatever that schedule is. And the Olympics are nine days of really exciting. Like I'm going to be watching probably every day because the Olympics is the one event of the year where there's so much on the line. Like even in the javelin, when you watch the final of that, like I'm not going to know anybody in that final, but I know that. They spent four years for that one moment to, you know, they get top three. They're like legends in their countries. They're, it just means so much. It, it, it's more so like what happens when the, the javelin on those other, you know, three and a half years outside of, of the Olympics. So, yeah, I'd love to go to Eugene at some point. I think that the, the price point for the entire trip is one thing that would probably limit me personally from going. I, I'd love to see the Olympic trials on the East Coast. I think you know, in, in a New York City or a Philadelphia or, I mean, even in Los Angeles where the Olympics is going to be, I, I, you know, I think, you'd, I think you'd get packed stadiums if it was presented right. But yeah, the ticket prices seem pretty appropriate. I agree. Yeah. All right. Well, 
We've been chatting for about half hour, so that's probably a good place to end it. We could keep going. I have a few more topics here, but why don't we end it here? We'll see what the feedback is for this episode. I think we had some good, some good little nuggets in there, and yeah, this was fun. Yeah, totally, totally. I mean, I, I think the only way to improve the sport is to have conversations like this, and hope that those are those that are in charge are, are listening to the athletes and the fans, and hopefully, we continue to move the sport forward. Cool, love it. All right, thanks, Dave. Talk to you later. 